I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the number one mental health diagnosis? I didn't even hear that, but I'm not going to ask for it again either. I just had this feeling that I'm just going to keep going. Um, you know what's really interesting is I would think depression. That's be the one that thing that that a lot of us struggle with. But um, actually, it is in fact anxiety disorders are more diagnosed than than any other kind of disorder. So when you're thinking about things that can go wrong from a mental health perspective, anxiety is the big thing. Interestingly enough, I've been listening to David Jeremiah over the past couple weeks. Um, and, and let me just put a plug in for WAY. If you have a chance to listen in your car, listen to WAY, 860 AM. You know, um, you, you, some of you guys know them well. Some of them you don't. If you don't, if you want to hear a radio station that consistently has good teaching, you're not going to beat it. It's, it's got a, they've got a lot of speakers and a lot, um, and, and actually, a lot of the folks that came from Living Truth have a little bit of history with the folks that that share WAY, but a fabulous station. Um, but I was listening to w, David Jeremiah, and he put forth, and I haven't verified this claim, but again, I think it's a pretty good source, and I'll go ahead and say it. But he said, "What what is the most frequent command of the Scriptures? The most free frequent command mentioned in the scriptures is do not be afraid. Do not fear. Sounds important. Just so happens that um, the passage of scripture that we're going to look about look at today has these kinds of things in mind. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter 4. This is a wonderful book with a lot of themes, a lot of things that, that have been discussed throughout the um, throughout this book. We're coming up in here to chapter 4. Probably, I might just point out that this is one of the most quoted chapters of the Bible. I hear, in fact, I, I hear this, I hear this all the time. It's very much not just in our Christian culture, but even in the secular culture, quotes Philippians 4.13. And this also, I think, gives me an opportunity just to share our heart at Providence Bible Church about the study of the Scripture. I notice that almost every time, and when I say almost every time, this is just my research in my own head, so this may or may not be accurate. Um, this is just my experience, my testimonial. Almost always, and I would say 98% of the time that this verse is quoted, it's quoted without its context. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, none of us would get, you know, if you're in high school and you get a love letter from your beau, none of us would skip down not read the first half of it, not read the second, but just grab a sentence out of it 
read that and go around and quote it. I mean, maybe if it was a really good sentence. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. Sometimes we treat the Bible like it's some kind of magic eight ball and um, you know, we just kind of open it up and flip the pages and say, God, Lord, please lead me. Boom. And, and, and that's just a dangerous way to treat any form of literature. But I would think especially the Bible. So, um, this, this chapter gives us just an opportunity to think about what are the context of the promises that are made here. And, and surprisingly, there are four promises um, out of Philippians chapter 4 that are made. And there are four wonderful promises. You're talking about um, the peace of God. It's the first one. The presence of God that brings peace is the second one. The power of God. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And you're talking about, but my God shall supply all your needs. Or, and my God shall supply all your needs. But I want you to understand that each one of these promises are in a specific context. And it's very dangerous for us as individuals to read the Bible and pull things out of context. We wouldn't do that with other people. We wouldn't do that with other things. It doesn't make sense to do that with the Bible. Maybe it doesn't even make more sense. And a lot of times we have the idea that, you know, the Bible is, is in what they, and you'll even hear people say this, and we've been talking about this a little bit in our small group, but, you know, the, what this verse means to me is, and I'm not saying that that's never appropriate to say it that way, but really the most important way to view the Bible is, is what does that verse mean to God? Or what did God mean when He had someone write that? What did Paul mean in the context that he wrote it? You know, Paul wrote this book to uh, a church. A church in Philippi. A church that met in homes. And it was circulated there. He was writing a specific letter, and especially that one about my God shall supply all your needs that everyone quotes a lot without even looking at the context. This was a very personal part of this letter. He mentions Epaphroditus by name. And it's a very personal thing. It's not, not, in my opinion, a general promise to the church. Um, but the first thing you have to figure out, though, when you're getting all these things together, is what was the authorial intent? What did the author intend to say? And he said that in a context to a group of people. And after you figure that out, then maybe you can say, does that apply to the church in general? Or does that apply to me specific? And a lot of times it does. A lot of times there are good principles that you can get out of there. But I think it's important even as we look at Philippians chapter 4 that we make sure we get that right, that we understand that these promises were written to a group of people. Anyway, let's read a little bit. Maybe we'll read the first half of, of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and Synthesis to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let me just go ahead and read on. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your, you've revived your concern for Me. You were indeed concerned for Me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for me in my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. For I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering. An a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every one of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. But let me back up here. Um, it's actually interesting in verse 2 that ancient scholars and um, archaeologists have uncovered something that was happening in the early church. Um, it was actually, uh, social scientists are studying this phenomenon that, that happened early in the church. There's actually something that they called conflict. It happened between two women. I don't know exactly. You know, in our enlightened period, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to, hard to think that, that in the church that there would actually be some kind of conflict between two women. But I have it on good sources. That this is, um, this is something that is historical. So I think we need to study it for its history's sake anyway. Okay, so that was a joke. I was just, just, just pulling it on that one. Yeah, isn't that interesting that when he starts talking about personal stuff, he starts, I mean, it'd be kind of scary to be around the Apostle Paul, you know, Andrew and Jason, please agree with each other. And oh, by the way, this is going to be in the Bible that everybody's going to read. 
But he's writing this letter and he calls he calls these two women out, and I hate to say it that way because can you can you just feel the compassion that's in in that passage? He's saying, "You guys help these gals agree with each other. This is important. These are fellow laborers. These are people that have been entrusted with the gospel. Bear with them. Work with them. Figure this out. Help them figure this out. Please agree with each other." You know, and I think this this passage probably needs no application. But just listen to the words of, of Scripture from history. How important, how much it was on the apostle to the church's heart that we agree on each other. How much was unity and the threat of disruption of unity between two gals that got excited about something. And it may have been, I mean, we don't have a lot of details here, may have been something really important. You know, I want to feed the widows on Tuesday. Well, you know, we've got to feed them on Thursday. We've always done it that way. We've always fed them on Thursday. You know, I, I don't know. I don't really know what that issue was. And he didn't speak it out. Of course, he's writing it to a church that would have known exactly what was going on. But he doesn't necessarily even call sides like, you know, Theodia was, was like more right. And these are the three ways that she's right. She's just saying, get along. Figure out a way to get along with each other. Because there's nothing more disruptive to the idea of unity than conflict. Conflict over petty things. Conflict over big things. In fact, somebody that stirs up discord among the brethren is actually, that, that's mentioned in the seven deadly sins. I mean, that's a big one. And that's, that's for all of us to think through. Agree in the Lord. Yodia. Synthesis. And yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And honestly, from a grammatical standpoint, I don't know if he breaks there, if that was part of this promise of peace, or if, 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 if getting together with somebody is part of that, it certainly is in the context. But let me just skip down and remind us where we're headed with this verse. Let's skip down to verse 7. There's some things that need to happen, some prerequisites to the promise that's in verse 7. The promise in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. What do we need more than anything else in our lives? What, I mean, what do we want? We want some peace. How many times have you said, I just got to get some peace? We're all in the middle of trying to get along with people at work, trying to rear children, trying to finish school, trying to agree with our husband or our wife. We're all 
living in a community where we're trying to get along with our neighbors. And what we really want is peace. Just some peace. That's the good thing about this passage today is He tells us how to get that peace. And the peace of God, and let me just say this, which transcends all understanding. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I mean, just think about that for a minute. I can't explain to you this peace, is what he's saying. I just can't explain it. This transcends, this surpasses, this is peace beyond what my explanation can, can do for you. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Scripture breaks us up in a lot of different ways and, and me just trying to really pin God down and, and understand what's, what, you know, are we, are we tripartite beings? Are we, you know, do we have a body and soul? Or is it body, soul, and spirit? And, and actually the Scripture sometimes, in my opinion, doesn't help us really sort that argument out. I guess the Scriptures weren't written to answer my individual um, understanding about every, every subject. But the way He breaks us down, He breaks us down into two ways. Our hearts and our minds. So what we're thinking about and what we love. How many people in here like chocolate ice cream? Oh my goodness. Lots of people. You can't put two hands up, Josiah. Oh, you're yawning. How many people like vanilla ice cream? Steve, you raised your hand twice. <laughs> Let me just use this illustration to help us maybe think through this. In your mind, do you understand what what's going on with vanilla ice cream? When I say the word vanilla ice cream, and if I say that too many times, it's just because I'd rather have vanilla ice cream than chocolate. But I'd rather think about it too. But when you think about vanilla ice cream, you, you immediately come up with a color in your mind, don't you? You immediately come up with a temperature, a texture, and if it's real good vanilla ice cream, you see those little speckly beans. But anyway, um, amen. I'll preach right there now. But um, you, you form the ideas about what I'm saying in your mind where you decide which one of those you'd rather have, you make that decision with your heart. With your loves. If somebody says, you know, who's your favorite football team? And you say, the obvious answer to that, West Virginia Mountaineers. You make that decision in your heart. That's your love. You know, and some of those decisions are real, real important. And some of them maybe not as important. But all of those decisions make up you and who you are and who you become. So, this piece that God's talking about is a buy one, get one. You know what I'm saying? It's a vote go. It, it's heart and mind. Heart and mind. So that part of you that needs that, that needs peace, 
You're the part of you that makes decisions about what you're going to do next, what job to take, what, um, how hard to study on this exam, whether to confront your boss or not. You know when to find a nice time to talk to your your wife about this issue. You're making those decisions in your heart, but your mind is the one that's racing. You know your mind is like, well, if I did this, then I could do that, then I could do that, and then here maybe, you know. That's not going to work. Okay. If I, okay. Now, if I say this, then he'll say that. Then I'll say this. Then he'll say that. And then I'll say this. This is not going to go good. And, and you play out those endless scenarios in your mind of anxiety. And that's really, what's really funny to me if you read some of the mental health diagnoses about anxiety, part of the diagnosis is that you might get anxious about being anxious. I mean, it's written right there in the code. To, to how do you evaluate anxiety? Is this person getting anxious about maybe being anxious? You know, a fear of having a panic attack. Part of the diagnosis. This promise, I think, covers that. It says, and the peace of God will guard, garrison, you know, think of a soldier guarding your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. This sounds like a pretty good promise. Where do I sign? Right? Let's go back. Again, I don't know. I kind of treated that verse 2. I don't know if it's really part of this context or just part of the one, but let's keep that idea in mind. It's in the context. Working hard to agree with people you disagree. And maybe even specifically in this context, working hard in the church to agree with fellow believers. And I'm going to put the parentheses around that. I'm not positive that that goes with this promise, but I'm positive about the next one. Verse 4. I want you to listen to how he emphasizes this one too, by the way. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now you talk about emphasis. You say it first. Usually you say what you want to say that's most important. You want to say it first. So he says it first. Then he gives you a time description of how often... He wants you to do this. Namely, always. Can you think of a bigger time description? No. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then, He tells you that it's so important that I'm going to tell you again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Well, I will say it again. And then He tells you again. That's another emphasis. Just from a linguistic standpoint, he really emphasizes this point above the other ones. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. That's kind of a it's kind of an antiquated word. We don't use that a lot. Sometimes in Christian circles we use that word because it's so part of much a part of our Bible. But but we don't. I don't know. That doesn't come up. Um, rejoice with me. I got a raise. Or thank you, boss, for that raise. I'm rejoicing over that. 
You know, we don't usually use that word in modern speech. What's that word mean? Rejoice. Any ideas for a synonym for that? No? Thankful? Glad? Yeah, I think that now we're cooking. Yeah, yes. Celebrate. That's the one I like. So I'll vote for that one. Celebrate. <coughs> yes, celebrate. Um, rejoice. Think about that word. If you took it and just kind of smashed it, what's the word in the middle there? Joy. Yes, and read. Which means say it again. Which there's another emphasis. That word's in there twice, and it's joy, rejoice. So say you know joy again. Man, this thing is just emphasized all over the place. This must be important. Find joy in life. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, which I do recommend, what is one of the major themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's enjoy yourself. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your drink. Dress up. Smell good. That's in there. You know, let your garments always be white. Put oil on your head. Enjoy yourself. So joy, 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 joy. I'm coming up with a song here. Rejoice in touchdowns. That's not in the passage. Just in case you were looking frantically. What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate in the Lord. What do you do to celebrate? What do you do to celebrate? What what have we done this morning to celebrate the Lord? Do you know how many hours, and I say hours, literally, went into preparation for this meeting to be pulled off? Do you know that there are people here early in the morning making coffee? There are people here setting up mics. Do you know that this speaker right here comes down every time? And that one over there comes down every time. It gets hefted away. There are people who last night were preparing food and maybe even early this morning fussing at their children to put the food in a certain place. I don't know of anybody that was doing that, but I'm just saying that might have happened. Um, but there, it's a celebration dinner for us to have together today. Um, hours, years spent learning, spent learning musical instruments to be able to play in a coherent way just so we can... You, you've groomed yourself, um, hopefully. Um, in special ways. You've gotten children ready. You've 
organized schedules, you've cleaned up messes, just to get here this morning to celebrate the Lord. We've invested a lot of time to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in each other too, but to rejoice, to celebrate how good God is. Every week we you know, do you know this bread just doesn't come out of nowhere? You probably have a clue about where it comes from because it hasn't been here for the last couple of weeks. Um, but anyway, somebody makes that, somebody prepares that, and it's all to celebrate the Lord's table, to rejoice in the Lord's table. All I want to say to you about that is, how are you organizing your life? How are we organize our lives? And what are we rejoicing over? What will we make sure we're on time for? You know, will we, will we organize everything in our lives to make sure we're on time for the kickoff? But we won't do it to be here on Sunday morning? Will we organize all of our time to get to work on Monday morning? but neglect the habit of meeting the church? Will we organize large projects to rejoice in our children's birthdays? But not spend time in, our, in the Word together as a family? I don't know. I don't really know how to apply that. You apply that to your own situation. But what I want to say to you, rejoicing takes a mindset of doing it, and it takes a lot of preparation to do it. Some of the ways that we rejoice in the Lord are listening to music, are celebrating, are singing songs from our heart to the Lord here together. But certainly, this is not the only venue. Do you think you can celebrate the financial gifts that God's given you by getting an extra good deal at the grocery store to feed your family? Yes. All, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light. And you literally can plow a field rejoicing in the Lord. You can enjoy your life rejoicing in the Lord. This is a very important point to make sure that the time and effort that you're putting your things into in the Lord reflect glory to the Lord and reflect the joy of the Lord. And if you're like me, a lot of times you get stuff done, but you create a lot of damage getting them done because you're not experiencing that joy in the moment. You're not enjoying what God's given you. And I would just say to all of us, you know, you know me as well as I know you, rejoice in the Lord. That's an antidote for anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Verse 5. Number two, in my outline of this passage, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Does anybody have an alternate translation there? Somebody reading out of the King James, for example? King James has a different word. Nobody's got it? Oh. What does it say? Verse 5. Let your reasonableness... King James says gentleness. What does your King James say? Moderation. Okay. Gentleness is, is a solid translation. Moderation. Reasonableness. And I, I just I just use those three words real quick just to say that's where the that's where they're trying to hit with that word. Reasonableness, moderation, gentleness. Somewhere somewhere in that vicinity is the concept that we're talking about. Somebody not given to extravagance, somebody that's moderate in their behavior, moderate in the way they do things, not given to excess, but moderate behavior. Gentle behavior. Not somebody that says, You can't get down here, I'm sorry, shut up, I'm going to give you a Oh, hello, Pastor. Yes, it's a beautiful day in the Lord today. We're just all preparing our hearts for worship. I don't know, that doesn't sound like very reasonable behavior or gentle behavior or moderate behavior. But hear that. Hear that that moderation, that gentleness, that reasonableness there. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is near. Let me tell you something. Just from me, I wrestled for years trying to figure out how the Lord is near related to this whole passage. It just seemed like an insertion. Of course the Lord's near. Why is that there? Let me tell you what I came up with, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but tell me later. But um, right now, what happens to your behavior when you remember that the Lord is near? When we remember that the Lord is right here with us, standing right here with us, sitting beside of us, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, God is spirit, God is everywhere. When we focus on the idea, the Lord is near. Practicing the presence of God. When we start practicing the presence of God, when we say, He is right here with us. He is here when I'm talking to my kids. He is here when I'm talking to my wife. He's here when I'm frustrated at something by work at work he is here doesn't that moderate our behavior i'm going to tell you something i went to a small christian school for just a few years busted out of there as soon as i could um but I, you know i went to a small christian school and we had a, a principal that was like you know he was had glasses and he was from bob jones and he never smiled and so when he Sorry. I love Bob Jones. I don't mean that in a negative way. But um, I guess I did, or I wouldn't have said it that way, would I? <laughs> Linda is also from Bob Jones. If that helps moderate what I just said. But he was serious. He was just serious. Um, and um, 
You know, when he walked in the door, huh, you know, I always kind of sat up straighter and, you know, I acted like I was on my best behavior because Mr. Hofstra was near. And let me just tell you something. You can think of the Lord in those terms, and I think that's certainly a valid way to think of the Lord. But the Lord is also someone who died for you. He gave up everything for you. He loves you passionately. He is your friend. He is a loving, caring person that's a part of your life that when you remember that He's right there, that should moderate your behavior. Not just the fear. Not just like the fear of Hofstra. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let's go on. That's number two. Number three... Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the final one. Maybe you could break it into four pieces if you wanted to. Do not be anxious, one. But you know, but in everything, be number four. Depending on how you wanted to outline that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Anxiety. Let's just just talk about what is anxiety really quickly. I think anxiety literally is having two minds about something. It's literally, if I do this, then this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, and maybe that will happen. But if I do this, this could happen, and that could happen, and this could happen, and that over there could happen, and this over there. So you're kind of bouncing back and forth. You're saying yes and no, and yes and no, and yes and no, and maybe no, not really, I shouldn't, but I should. No, I shouldn't. And you're kind of going back and forth. And it, let me just tell you something. It's about as effective a way of solving a problem as running a marathon race from a rocking chair. Because you can rock, Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, but you don't move anywhere. Anxiety's like that. You're just going here, then there, then here, then there, then here, then there, then here, then there, back and forth, and you get no production. In fact, one of the things that I tell people on a regular basis is, you know, just making a decision. Going with something takes care of anxiety. Now, obviously, you could use that, you know, you could use that advice in wrong ways. You could say, well, I'm just going to, you know, 
I don't know, think of whatever something really bad would be without me having to say it. You know, I'm just gonna, just gonna leave. I'm just gonna go to the hotel tonight. Because I just can't make it here anymore. Whatever. That's a decision, is my point. You know, may or may not be the best decision. But making a decision takes care of the anxiety if you stay focused on that decision. But let me just look at this passage and say, how does he suggest that you cure anxiety? Because he's almost suggesting this, this is really one thing, because it's do not be anxious about anything, but conjunction, junction, watch your function, you know, something that's contrasted to that. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he's saying almost like this. Let me, let me just tell you the way I see it, um, which may or may not be right. This is not inspired, but it seems like to me we're all on a continuum. We're either over here on the anxiety level or we're over here on the prayer, petition, asking with thanksgiving place. And I think during our lives, we're all kind of in different... A lot of times we have a lot more anxiety and chances are we're not asking, we're not begging, we're not pleading, we're not presenting our request to God like this passage suggests. And we're not thankful for what we've got. We're just consumed with what we don't have or what's not right. It's not an attitude of gratitude. It's not thankfulness. We're over here on this anxiety level. And then we move at times over here to this place where we're like, you know, God, please help my family. Please let my children understand what I'm telling them, what I've told them over and over again. Please, you know, let my wife respond to me in the way that is healthy for her to respond to me. And God, please, please, please not make me such an idiot. I just started praying there, didn't I? Sorry, just, just a little personal prayer there. No, um, you know, you know, really taking those things in front of God and placing them before God. But He also is important. But let me just say, there's there's an edge to this. What's the edge of asking God, begging God, presenting things to God? Where's the modifier in this sentence? Can you find it for me? Where's the modifier in this passage? Ask, beg, plead, present. There's at least three different words to describe prayer there. What's extra in there? With thanksgiving. You know, again, I regularly pray for Southern West Virginia. Please make our homes strong. Make our children be able to grow up in environments that are safe and healthy where they can learn the fear of God from a young age. Um, may they not be distracted by drugs um, that's just waving over our communities right now. May, they, may, they be, may, may our homes be free of those kinds of, of influences. May we love each other. May they be safe places, healthy places. And that's a good thing. But let me just tack on something here. Tack on an attitude. 
thank You. Thank You for the mercy that You've given me. Thank You for the beautiful children that You've given me. Thank You for the ways in which they are, are, are submissive. And thank You for the ways in which you know, they, they, they do ex- present an example of God. Thank You for you know, the wife or the husband that I've been given. Thank You for the way um, he works or she works. Um, thank You for the way they, they add to this, 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 this family unit. Thank You for this church. Thank You for the, the men and women who, who bear a large responsibility of the work and the weight of carrying off a lot of the tasks of the church. Thank You for those things. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. It's real easy for us as human beings. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Of course, it was spurred on by some research that I had been reading about just um, the way our brains work. And our brains are very good at pointing out inconsistencies. In fact, I bet you while I've been back there, talk, while I've been talking for this, you know, 45 minutes or however long it's been, I bet you you've been sitting back there and you're, you're like, well, I don't know about that. Is that really what the passage means? Or, you know, you may be able to point out inconsistencies about something that I said or an illustration where I wouldn't have used that illustration. That's the way our brains work. And that's a healthy thing, or it can be a healthy thing. It can be very healthy for us to look out here at this community and say, you know, I don't think this is the way this is supposed to work. Or to look at this church and say, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to work. This would be better if we did this. And that is an awesome thing that God's given us. That ability to be critical and to have critical thinking. But when that's done from a place that's not thankful, you're going to create anxiety in yourself. You're going to create anxiety in other people. You're not going to create anxiety in God, but you're going to create anxiety in your prayer life that doesn't need to be there. He says, beg, plead, ask with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Focus on that thankfulness. I don't know where you are on that anxiety versus prayer and thankfulness scale, but I'm telling you, there's more relief on this side. There's more relief when you are praying and asking and pleading with God thankfully for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, that wonderful conjunction that ties this all together and the peace of God which passes all understanding, transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard them. You need peace. I need peace. Jesus brought peace with God. Jesus will bring peace in the world. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. What's his prescription right now? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Celebrate in the Lord. Let your gentleness, moderation, reasonableness be evident 
to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's not from me. That's from God. And that's the eternal words of Scripture that we have here for us in a letter that was written by the Apostle to the church. We've heard about his resume. And what was the number one thing on his resume, by the way, from chapter 2? In order that I might gain Christ. All this other stuff, rubbish. In order that I might be Christ. Be found in Him, having a righteousness of God that's by faith. That I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, and that somehow, I might obtain from the resurrection from the dead. That's the apostle that brought this to us. He brought us this word. And that's the peace that can come. I look forward as a church to, to, to us just looking at the power of God or the, the presence of God, the peace of God that's, that's in these next two passages, the power of God that we can do all things through Christ it strengthens us and the provision of God, that God, my God, shall supply all your needs. And finding out what kind of things do we need to do to get in on those promises. Father, thank You very much for Your Word. Thank You that You are so concerned about us and our lives and you just want us to have joy. That's the main thing you're after for us, is to enjoy this life, to rejoice in you, rejoice in the good things, <coughs> from apples and aardvarks, to xylophones and zebras. You want us to enjoy everything that you've had here in the Lord. Thank you for giving us each other in this church. Thank you for giving us family, um, literal family, and maybe even more importantly, a heavenly family, the church. May we love each other deeply from the heart. And may we see you as the one with the power to change this world and to change us. Thank you for conforming us to your Son. This is a process, and we know that you are the one in charge of that. Thank you. Amen.